We're looking at um, the letters to the church from the book of Revelation. And um, we're going to be looking at seven different churches and what Jesus has to say about the church. It's quite interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, sometimes when you, you think, especially as a minister, what, what, what do people say about our church? But more importantly, what does Jesus say about our church? And I don't mean as a building, I don't mean uh, as, uh, as the fabric or, or the projects, but what does he say about us as a church, the people who make the church? The church is us, isn't it? Those of us who gather here, what does Jesus say about us? Because he is looking at us, he's observing us, he's seen our life, he walks amongst us, and he sees what we do well, and he sees what we do that he doesn't like. And he has words for his church, he has challenges for his church, he, he wants to see his church grow and to be blessed. But there's things that he likes, and there's things that, in Revelation it says that he hates isn't that strange, isn't it? You know, think about Jesus, but in, in Jesus saying, there's things within my church that I hate. And so therefore, these letters, they're very challenging for us to think about. What about us as a church? What does God's Spirit have to say about us? So we're going to explore from chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 1. And... Um, I think I put verse 10, but I'm going to start from verse 9, so if you don't jump ahead too much. It says, I, John, your brother and companion in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So he was, John was put on the island of Patmos because he was preaching the gospel. He was talking about Jesus and he was exiled. He was put on an island by himself because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He faced persecution, challenge and difficulty because of his role as an apostle and preaching about Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 10, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard a loud voice like a trumpet. Now that, that's interesting. We could pass by that and say, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. It shows in the Lord's day, although he was isolated, on the Lord's day, he took time to worship and to be before God. He just think, oh, well, I'm on an island by myself. I'm, uh, I'm being persecuted. It's really difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just going to, I'm not going to worship. But he said, no, I was in the Lord's day. I, I set myself forth and I said, I'm going to worship God. To have that mentality to say that, I am going to worship no matter what, in whatever circumstance I'm going to worship God. It's extremely challenging, isn't it? That's not an easy place to get yourself mentally or spiritually into. But John got himself into that place where he said, I'm here and I'm worshipping God. But not only was he worshipping God, but he was worshipping God in the spirit. And it tells us in John's Gospel that, we, that God is spirit, therefore we should worship God in spirit and truth, shouldn't we? So what does it mean that when we worship God in the spirit? Because the, the spiritual realm, the kingdom of God, is God's kingdom, isn't it? It's where God reigns. It's where God's reality is. It's where God's purpose is. And so therefore, when we worship God, we say, I'm entering into that reality which is God's. 
I'm entering into God's kingdom, God's purpose, God's will. And actually, I'm opening my eyes, not just from my fleshy perspective of seeing the world around me as I want to see it, but my eyes are spiritually opened to see the spiritual reality of God on this earth, moving on heaven and on earth and seeing God's rule and purpose. And now I'm in the will of God. I'm in the presence of God. I recognize that I'm not just on earth anymore in my own reality, but I'm living in the power and reality of the Spirit of God here with me. And I see there's a different reality, a different purpose, and a different way in my life. And there's times that I know when I'm worshipping and I'm praying in the Spirit because I know there's times when I'm worshipping and I'm trying really hard but it just seems a bit empty, doesn't it, at times? And you can even feel that in the church at times, can't you? You can feel in the church, you're in a church and people are worshipping God and it feels a bit empty because we're not worshipping in the Spirit of God, are we? We're not into that place of the spirit of saying, this is God's place, this is God's reign, this is God's rule, this is God's kingdom. I'm entering into God's spirit now, God's place. I'm going to see this through God's eyes. This is God's moment. I know myself, even when I'm praying, even this morning when I was praying, and, um, and I was praying, I started praying, I was like, oh, Right, God. And I said, no, I'm not having it. I said, this prayer's too dry. <laughs> this prayer's too boring. Too, too boring. So I started. So I, so I got to the mirror, and I got to the mirror. I said, God, I rebuke this in Jesus' name. I want to be in your presence. I want to be in your glory. I want more of you. I rebuke everything that's holding me back. I hold, rebuke everything that's stopping me coming to know you more and love you more. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Get out of my life. Anything that's stopping me coming into your presence, experience your power and your love, and know that you're here at this moment. I want to pray and know that your glory and your spirit is here upon me in my life now and I'm not accepting anything else less. I thought, oh, that's good, Gary. <laughs> that's good. That's the way to go. That's the way to do it. Go for it. Come on. So I was like, yes. And there's a sense, you know, that spirit is there. And even in Brazil, we were worshipping. Uh, we had a, there was a congregation of six, 700 people there. And all praising God. It was, a, it was a night of miracles. And it's supernatural and, and God moving. They had me preaching. I'm saying, oh, good luck. <laughs> Not much going to happen tonight, is there really? <laughs> you know, and that, you know, it, it's up there in preaching. And, and, and you know, this, this is the thing with Pastor Wesley. I said, look, I don't want, I'm coming holiday. I don't want to preach. You know, I preached six times in five days. Plus, he sent me into schools, English schools, all the places I never stopped. You know, it was, <laughs> it was like, oh Lord. <laughs> but, you know, it was there preaching and, and declaring to God and, and praying and saying, God can answer your prayers, God can move. In that moment, I felt God's Spirit and I felt God's Spirit moving upon me. I knew at that moment I wasn't just saying Gary's words, I knew that I was speaking. And the Spirit, I knew the Spirit was guiding me and moving me in that moment into specific lives, into specific aspects. And God was giving me an understanding, knowledge that was beyond my understanding. And then as, as, as we preached and we called people to the front, 
Um, I think seven or eight people came forward, gave their life to Christ. Then, then, then we called people forward for healing. And then people were coming for healing. And, and they, were, they, they brought out all this, the cell group leaders and they were praying for people. And I just felt God saying to me, I want you to pray for somebody tonight. I want you to pray for somebody tonight. I said, God, who do you want to pray for? There's so many people here. Who do you want? He said, I'll tell you. Don't worry. I know I've got to pray for somebody. And so there's all these people at the front, probably 150 people at the front. I'm thinking, right, which one have I got to pray for? And then God just said, I just felt God say to me, I want you to pray for that lady. I don't want you just to go and pray for her. I want you to go and hug her. I want you to go and hug her, and I want you to hug her, and I want you to give her comfort, and I want you to pray for her. Broke all the safeguarding rules, unfortunately. <laughs> but God, God told me to. So, so I went there and I, 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 and I went down and I just got this lady and I, and I hugged her. And I just told her. She didn't understand a word I said, but I said, God loves you. God just loves you. And I, he just wants to tell you tonight, he loves you. And he's with you. And he's, whatever you're going through, he's telling you, God, he is with you at this moment. And I prayed for her. And then when, I, when, when we finished the service, the people come and said to me, why did you go and hug that lady? What, what was drawing to her? Did you know her situation? I said, I didn't know anything about her. And they said, just last night her son was killed and a favela shot five times through the head and she was there seeking God's presence, looking for God. To... So we want to be like John in that place of the Spirit, don't we? Because when we're in that place of the Spirit, even when there's terrible things happening, God can move and say, in those terrible things, I want to show you my love. I want to show you my presence. That, that's the Spirit of God. When we get in those places of saying, I want to move in the Spirit. And as John moves in the Spirit, then, then, then the, it starts, the, 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 the kingdom of God starts to open up to him. The realities of heaven and earth open up to him beyond his human conception, beyond his eyes of understanding, beyond what he's seen in the world. He's starting to see the perspective of what God wants to share with him and what God wants to show him and what God wants to reveal at this moment. Amen? And that's what we're here for this morning, isn't it? For God to reveal, to God to show beyond our physical reality, to show us his spirituality, to open up dreams and visions of, of what he wants to do, of what he wants to see, of what he wants to see happen in, in this moment in our lives and in our faith and in our worship. And so on the Lord's Day I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which says, Write in the scroll what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergnum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead." Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write there what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so John has this incredible vision, this incredible revelation which was opened up to him by the Spirit of God. Isn't it wonderful when the Spirit of God opens revelation, gives you access into what God says, what will be and what will be coming? Because God has blessing for us. God has an abundance of his spirit to pour out for us. God has an abundance for his love for us. But he calls us in that place where he says, be in that place where I can reveal to you what my will and what my purpose is for you and for the church. And he says in this vision that Jesus is dwelling amongst the seven churches. You know, He's not separate from them. He's not above looking down on them, but he's there and he's, he's walking amongst them. He's going around the churches and he's observing and, he, and he's looking and he's seeing what's going on and he's, he's, he's looking at his churches. He's looking at his people who worship him, who declare his name, who glorify him as Lord, who say that they believe and trust in him and he's dwelling amongst them and he's going amongst them and he's observing them. And he's saying to John, from what I've observed, I want you to write down and I want you to pass that on to the angels of the church. The angels of the church is quite difficult to understand what the angels of the church are. It could be, a angelos just means messengers. So it could be, he passes scrolls on to angels who are going to communicate that to the church somehow. Or the angels of the church are the pastors. The ministers, those who have to speak forth, those who have to be messengers to the church. So for some reason, so John has to pass this word on from Jesus to the pastors of the church, the minister of the church, or or the angel who is ministering to that church at this time. We're not quite clear what it is. For me, I think God's going to have a word for his ministers, for those who have to give messages to the churches. We have to hear what the Spirit has to say, don't we? We have to hear what the Spirit has to say and we have to declare that forth to the church and speak what Jesus wants the churches to hear. It's already been academic and theological and this, but we have to declare what the church, what Jesus wants the church to hear in the Spirit of God uh, through His Word. And He has this vision of Jesus and Jesus got, got fires, of, balls of fires coming out of eyes. He's got a double-edged sword coming out of His mouth. The double-edged sword is the word of God which splits through our marrow and bone, which cuts through us, which exposes us, that shows us before God of who we are before God. The word of God, the double-edged sword brings the truth and the power of God before us and lays us bare before God. And as he speaks, it's like a rushing river. I don't know if you've ever been by a, a really powerful river before, but in Scotland we get lots of rain, so when you go by a river, it's like... <laughs> 
you can't hear much. You're talking to you, what did you say, what did you say? <sighs> All you can hear is a river. And that word, that, that word that was coming from Jesus' mouth was so powerful, like a flowing, powerful river. The only thing that John could hear that moment was the overpowering, overpowering word of God coming out from Jesus' mouth. And he fell flat on his face before the glory of God as if he was dead. In the Spirit, in the presence of God, recognized the power that was amongst him, and he fell dead as if he was dead before God. Do we do that before God? Before his glory and his presence? Do we fall as if we're dead? Because, you know, how can we stand before the presence and the glory and the power of God? We need to humble ourselves and fall down on our faces and say, God, I'm not worthy of your presence. I'm not worthy, but you give me it somehow. Help me to live faithfully for you, for your presence, for your joy, and for your love. And so, Jesus gives his first word for his church in Ephesus. And to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hands, for him who holds the ministers, the messengers in his hands. And walks among the seven golden lampstands who walks along the churches. I know your deeds your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Wow, it's a fantastic church, Ephesus, isn't it? You know, this is a church which is in, a, which is in a, a 250,000 inhabitants. They have one of the largest temples to a pagan deity in the, in the world at that time, which was one of the seven world wonders of the world at that time, to the goddess Diana. The whole city was dedicated to the goddess Diana. The temple of Diana was a massive economic system which owned land and money and territory. It had incredible influence over the city of Ephesus. But when the gospel of Jesus Christ came to Ephesus, people became worried because they saw that the power of Diana, this goddess, was being taken away by the power of Jesus Christ and lives were being transformed and changed. In Silvers there was riots because the gospel was being preached in that city and people felt threatened that the gospel of Jesus Christ would destroy the, the, the sect of Diana and the temple of Diana. And praise God it did, didn't it? It brought an end to it. The gospel of Jesus Christ brought down this massive temple system, this massive pagan system, this place where they worship God, where they worship these false gods. A place where they sacrificed animals to Diana, where they had pagan prostitutes who served the temple, where there was sexual immorality, where there was, where there was festivals that you just wouldn't want to be around or be part of because they were so immoral and so wrong and so just not right. And this church in Ephesus has said to themselves, we're going to separate ourselves from 
this worship of Diana. We're going to reject this pagan system and we're going to worship Jesus Christ. We're going to live with him. We're going to live according to his word, according to his morality, according to his power, according to his life. That's how we're going to direct ourselves. We're going to work hard and dedicate ourselves to the kingdom of God. And no matter what comes against us, we're going to stand firm. And Jesus, I saw that happen. I saw you stand firm. I saw you stand against all that surrounds you, all that's in your culture, all that's in your society. I saw you stand against it. And you stand firm to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And I commend it. I see your hard work. I see your dedication. I see everything that you're doing for me. I see you rejecting false teachings. I see you rejecting all the things that are wrong. He said, but I still have one thing against you. I'd be like, whoa, thank goodness God's only got one thing against us, isn't it? He said, I've probably got a list in heaven like this. <laughs> These are all the things I've got against you, Gary. They had one thing they had against them. Yeah, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. He said to me, You've done amazing as a church. You've resisted the temptation of paganism and to, to mix up the worship of Diana with, with Christianity, which was happening in the church at that time. There was people who were in the church who were also worshipping the temple. There was people in the church who were in the church one, on, the, on the Sunday who were taking part in, in temple festivals and, 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 and laying down with prostitutes and doing things which were immoral. And the church was having to deal with, how do, we, how do we deal with these people who were pagans and part of this pagan culture, and now they're Christians, how do they live as Christians? And they did really well with that, and they rejected false apostles, false teachers, people who were bringing in teachings which would lead them astray, lead them into wrong paths that weren't declared by God. He said, but in the midst of this, we can lose our, lose our first love, isn't it? We've become so dedicated to church, to doctrine, to teaching, to, to theology, to, to living our life, to living for God, to doing, do, to doing our work, being busy for church, being involved in so many things and so many activities. It's so easy for church just to become a burden, isn't it? It's so easy for serving Christ just to become a weight on our shoulders. It's so easy for us to say, oh, I have to go to a small group tonight. But I don't really feel like it. I would rather be home watching EastEnders. I'd rather be doing something else than, than being here tonight. I've got to go to church on Sunday. I know I've got to be dedicated. It's important for my faith to grow and to be there. But I really don't feel like I want to worship this morning. I want to fall asleep this morning because the preacher is really boring and going about Revelation. And it's so easy just to become a Christian and have the right belief, have the right action, do things, be dedicated and go things there. But you don't have that first love for Jesus Christ in your heart anymore. Do you witness to that? I do. It's easy as a minister to go along and do your life and do your work and do your ministry. But God's not central. Your first love isn't Jesus anymore. 
Your dedication isn't to Jesus. Your dedication isn't to the Spirit and the power of God. Your dedication isn't to the kingdom of God and serving God and saying, God, I love you so much, God, that you dominate my life, that you overtake my life and every my life is dedicated to you because I love you so much because I understand what you've done for me. Do you understand what God has done for you? So what's your response to that? Is your response to that dead dedicated religious life or is to say here yeah I've lived that dedicated life I'm committed but I've lost that first love and I need to get that first love back I need to understand what God has done for me that he loved me so much that he gave me Jesus Christ that he gave me salvation that for me if I believe and hold firm I'm going to be, going to eat from the tree of life and be in heaven and be with my father for eternity I'm going to have in his glory his presence his power authority what I experience now here in the prayer and the spirit in moments in times I'm going to live in for eternity in the presence of the great spirit of the living God and the spirit of God and those that revelations that vision that John had before God is going to be my reality that I'm going to stand before the throne of God and I'm going to see the elders that stand around the throne of God crying holy 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 is the Lord 24 hours a day and 24 hours a day I'm going to be worshipping God 24 hours a day I'm going to be crying that he's holy that he He's great, that He's wonderful, He's a loving God, He's my love, He's why I exist, He's why I'm in eternity, because He is a living God, and He loves me, and He has laid down everything for me, and I'm on my knees before Him crying, You are holy, you are holy, you are holy, because you have witnessed into my life that you are holy. You have shown me that you are holy. You have loved me and shown that you are holy. You have dedicated yourself, you laid down your son for me to show you how much you love me that you're the good shepherd who seeks me out and I'm going to spend my eternity on my knees declaring how good you are why be dry let's be dedicated let's be committed you know we're a very busy church we do a lot a lot happens we impact our community. There's people, thousands, a thousand people come through the doors every week. But what, who are they meeting? Are they meeting Christians who are filled with the Spirit of God, who have that first love of Jesus Christ in their life, still alive, that flame of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God still alive? People who are still aware of how much it means to know Jesus, to accept Him into His life and to worship Him and nothing else matters but accept that I'm doing now what I'm going to do in eternity. Because church, like I said last year, if Christ isn't your first love now and you can't worship Him, and you can't lay yourself down before him. You can't lie dead before him because he's so powerful, so wonderful, so incredible that you can't be overwhelmed by what he's done for you. What are you going to do in eternity? <laughs> what are you going to do for all eternity? Sit in the corner and say, well, I remember a little over at the church. Uh, I remember the times when the Spirit of God never moved and it was wonderful. <laughs> so what are you going to do? When we were in Brazil, we couldn't but be overwhelmed by the Spirit and presence of God because the people there are just crazy for God. You know, they, they go to church 
on Sunday night. They're in cell groups on Monday. They've got a revival meeting on Tuesday, a healing meeting on Wednesday, another cell group on Friday, another youth church on Thursday, another cell group on, 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 on Friday. And because the women are even worse, they've got another meeting on Saturday just to top it all off. And then they're back on Sunday again. And they're dedicated and they think, listen, I go, how can I do all this? This is just crazy. And they're working 12 hours a day, six days a week never stopping, working for pittance and hardly any money, yet they're there, they finish work and they're in church and they're worshipping God and they're just going mental. And I don't think it's a cultural thing. I think it's people who have a love of God because I know if I was working that hard and living their lives, I don't know where I would find that joy from except from the Spirit of God. And so we can be really dedicated, we can be really committed, but we've got to say, in the midst of that, am I becoming a dry prune of a Christian? Have I been baptized in vinegar rather than the Holy Spirit? And so part of looking at these letters again is trying to discover what Christ is saying to us. And the first thing he says to us, I see you dedicated little over. I see you're committed. I see your works. I see your desire to impact your community. I see your desire to bless charities and people around the world and groups and organizations. I see your desire to give financially. I see your desire to bring hope. I see all that you want to do. But can he hold that one thing against us? Have we lost our first love? Not as a church overall, but me as part of this church as the angel of this church as you as part of the body of what makes this church have you lost your first love where is your life with Christ where is your hope where is your joy you may be dedicated to the church's life but where is your dedication to the spirit of God that the Spirit of God might dwell in you and overwhelm you and overcome you, that you just want to dwell in the house of the Lord your whole day long. Is that not what King David said? My desire is to dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. That's my desire, isn't it? That's my desire that we dwell in the house of the Lord the whole day long. In our work, in our circumstances, in our difficulties, in our challenges, and all that comes against us, all the problems, all the good things, all the joys, all the things that seek to distract us, all the things that seek to take us away from God, all the things that take us into different avenues of life, that the one thing remains within that is that first love, that spark of joy when you accepted Christ into your life and you used to annoy all your friends because you used to tell all your friends about Jesus. Now they don't even know you're Christian, maybe. <laughs> so let's be annoying again. Let's be so in love. Let's be so in love with that first love that we become the most annoying church in Derby. Amen. I'm going to run with you. Let's go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let, let's become the most annoying church in Derby. Can we make that a commitment? Because we don't want God to hold against us that we don't have that first love. Do you remember that first love? Do you remember that feeling? Do you remember those emotions, those hormones, the excitement, the passion, the desire of, of the visions of what you see would come from this love and desire for it? 
have that first love for God. Have that desire for what God has for you, of what this relationship will bring, of where God's going to take you, of what, what this love for Jesus is going to make in your life, of how it's going to transform it, of how this relationship's going to build your life, of how it's so beautiful to want to dwell with this person and live with this person forever, to dwell in this house with this person forever, to be in their presence and how you want to tell everybody how you found that love. Have you found that love? Have you lost that love? It doesn't matter. The Ephesians, they were challenged to find that love. So we must be able to get that first love again, isn't it? It's not just a dream. It's just not something in the Bible that says, oh, that's good for the Ephesians. It's good for little over. Because God says, as Ephesians can find first love, you can find first love again, can't you? I can find first love again. We can have that passion. I remember when we were with um, uh, Neil and Jane, and we were praying, and um, they started to cry, and they said, oh, this is, this is so incredible. This is just like when we first accepted Christ into our life. This is just like a moment when we first met Jesus and knew him. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful. And they wept. I'm excited because this letter says find that first love. So that's my challenge for you. I want you to go back and I want you to reflect on the week and I want you to think about that first love that you had for Christ. And I want you to refine that and gain that in prayer. I want you to pray in the Spirit and move in the prayer in the Spirit. Even if you're standing in the mirror like me and say, I'm in the Spirit yet? I'm in the Spirit yet? Not sure. They say I'm in the Spirit. Even if they ask someday if you're in the Spirit, just do it. And regain that first love. And I want you to come back next week. And before we start the sermon next week, if I remember, just remind me. Jackie, remind me. <laughs> come and ask. Come and tell us if you've found that first love again. If something's been reignited in your life. If the Spirit's moving. Because testing is so powerful. When you testify to you finding your first love, you're going to find, if I testify to find my first love, you're going to find your first love. You're going to find your first love. If you testify about finding your first love, this person's going to find their first love again. And it's going to become infectious. And we're going to find that first love and the power of God. We're going to cry, holy, holy, holy. And I can't wait to get to heaven. Because it's going to be 24 hours a day, revival, renewing the power of God and the presence of God. So why not start now? May as well. I haven't got that long left to live. I'm going to be there soon enough, aren't we? So should get practice done. You know, so, so maybe have an exam and say, are we quite yet at the heaven level? <laughs> you only go, how long have I got? Well, <laughs> so we can practice. Let's find the first love church. Let's be dedicated. Let's be committed. But let's do that desiring and seeking that love of God in our life, that passion of what it meant first to find Jesus. Amen.